Eternal Father, you called St. Philip the Evangelist to open his mouth and begin with Scripture, tell the good news of Jesus Christ. By virtue of our baptism, we too are called to work for the salvation of souls. Instill in our hearts the zeal of St. Philip, that we may convert hearts and minds to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hi, welcome to the St. Philip Institute podcast, where we talk about living the Catholic faith in real life, how we put our Catholic faith into practice. Uh, My name is Dr. Luke Arredondo. I am the Director of Faith Formation here at the St. Philip Institute of Catechesis and Evangelization in the Diocese of Tyler. Um, Our guest for this episode is Chris Stefanik. Chris Stefanik is an internationally known author and speaker. Uh, he was a recipient of the Papal Benemoretti Medal, um, and Archbishop Chaput calls Chris one of the most engaging defenders of the Christian faith on the scene today. Um, many of you probably know Chris from his work at Real Life Catholic, or perhaps the Chosen Confirmation Program. Uh, we're going to be talking today about his new book, I guess his newest book, uh, Living Joy, Nine Rules to Help You Rediscover and Live Joy Every Day. So thank you, Chris, for uh, being here. I really appreciate having this chance to talk with you, and, and I love the book. Oh, brother, thanks for having me on. It's an honor to talk about something I wrote. And, yeah. and something that's so necessary. I want to get the word out because people desperately need joy right now, and they need to do practical things to to claim that joy that God made them for. Absolutely. I, I liked um, one of the things that you do in the book in each chapter. I mean, you talk about a principle or a rule of how you can you know better live the joy that we're created for, that, that we read in the gospel. God wants to give to us. Jesus created us to live life to the fullest. But you don't just give us these sort of general principles, you also, at the end of each chapter, give us practical steps to follow uh, on how to put those into place, and I think that was uh, really great. So um, am I correct in my total guess from reading this that this was sort of a a coronavirus project, like you've got some more time, why don't you focus on something? It seemed like that. Yeah, it's not. it was not only a project from having more time, but it it came straight from my gut. I mean, everything I'm doing in our ministry, it's not uh, theoretical for me. It's stuff that I'm struggling to live myself. And I, I know that the, the, the thing that converted me, that brought me into the faith was an experience of seeing the joy of Christians and wanting that. Yeah. And, and that's the charism God's given me. That's, I think, what God's calling us all to claim in order to, frankly, be attractive in our faith. And uh, we got to be intentional about staying, claiming and defending uh, that charism and that gift and that grace. And so as, as uh, life turned upside down with COVID for, for me in a lot of ways, just like it has for everybody, sure, uh, it, it, it forced me to get intentional about being that joyful person I know God wants me to be. And yeah. I thought, hey, I'll share it with the world. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's, that's really great. Um, you, you share a story here in the book, and probably you've shared it uh, other times before, that you, you were forced to go on a retreat when you were 16 or 17 or so, um, and that you, you saw, you said you saw in the faces of the people at this retreat something that you realized, I used to look for that. I used to want that. I've forgotten that I even wanted it. This is a place where I need to be, um, and I think that you really have done a great job, kind of presenting that in your ministry. I remember when the Chosen Confirmation Program was being developed. I was a DRE at a parish. I saw a trailer, and I went to the pastor. I said, "We got to get this. Like, we have to do 
this. Um, so I think you're, you're, you're a great person to write a book about um, living joy. Uh, I wanted to ask you um, if, if you could comment a little bit about especially silence. Uh, there's, so there's nine rules in the book, and one of them is that you need, we need to seek out the silence. You shared a lot in that chapter about the ways that that has become increasingly difficult, not just for teenagers, but maybe especially for teenagers or young adults. Um, what are some of the ways that, that that has become a bigger challenge than it maybe than it used to be? Well, the teenagers are just the canary in the mine, you know, they're, they're feeling the first effects of this. And there's been extensive study done on iGen, Generation Z, that's the current crop of teenagers and young adults. And um, millennials are already old, by the way. We talk about millennials like they're the teenagers. No, uh, <laughs> I'm a proud Generation Xer. I actually grew up without a cell phone in my hand, went to college without a uh, personal computer, which is uh, mind-blowing when you share wow. with young people. Yeah. Like, how do you think? And uh, well, really, the question is, how do you think when you are bombarded constantly with noise? But there's been a lot of study done on iGen that shows a direct correlation between increased media use, especially social media use, and increased anxiety, increased depression. In fact, for the first time in history in 2016, a majority of incoming college freshmen self-reported that they felt below average in mental health. And this is not an accident. This is not just by, by chance or a genetic thing or something in the, in the water. It's something in our heads and in our hands. Yeah. When people constantly live a life scrolling, you can't think straight. And if you can't think straight, you can't be peaceful, can't be joyful. There's a, a, an avalanche of, of psychological and social impact that started because we don't keep the phone in line. And I have a phone and I use social media for our ministry. Sure. You've got to keep in line. You got to keep it in line. I like the way you described uh, cell phone use as something that we need to maybe think about treating like alcohol, right? Something that's not evil in and of itself, that's not necessarily going to corrupt you just by its existence, but that if you're not careful yeah. with it, it can really be problematic. And I'm glad you mentioned that that statistic about the mental health. I was teaching college students as I was a PhD student, so I had to teach undergrads in 2016. Um, and when I saw that, that, you know, for the first time, more than half of incoming freshmen described their mental health as below average. I thought, wow, I, I was teaching this group of students, you know, um, and, and it really stood yeah. out to me. The other thing about the, uh, the social media issue, uh, which is, you know, I mean, one for one, it's hard to get silence because of it. But the other thing is, even when you're in there, it, it creates this false sense of connection with other people. Um, one of the chapters in the book you talk about, the or one of the rules, uh, is to have friends. And so easily, it's so easy for us today to mistake online connections for real friendships. Could you uh, talk a little bit about the differences there? Yeah. Well, there's, and there's another thing that's been studied a lot. I mean, all the research is showing that everything Jesus said 2,000 years ago and did 2,000 years ago is true, which we already knew by faith. Right. right. But there's a lot of research done in this, too, that, that there's um, a, a, another direct correlation between loneliness and, and unhealth. Uh, in fact, they've discovered that it is literally healthier for you to smoke 15 cigarettes a day than to be lonely. You need connections with other people and that 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 blows my mind it's healthier for you to have high cholesterol than to be lonely yeah uh, we, we kind of know this we kind of know that having actual friendships makes our lives better uh, but you know a lot of the following of the lord and living out the stuff that he modeled for us because he had deep friendships 
it, it comes down to being intentional about those simple things that you got to simple habits and practices you have to implement. And when you get intentional around those stupidly simple things, people are going to read through this book and say, Oh, duh, that's easy. That's simple. That's not a mind blowing theological revelation to which right. I would say, yeah, duh. So do it, do yeah. it. So, you know, passing short interactions, which is what the phone is designed for, uh, can be a good thing. A, a little touch points, a little high five as you walk past somebody. Right. When that's to edge out your bandwidth for actual deep conversation, what it does is edge out rather than support actual friendship from happening. Yeah. You have to have relationships where you know and are known by others. Uh, and it's not real complicated for how to get those. And, and we, I go over that in the book. You got to sit down and, and find out what's going on in someone's life and, and learn, you know, and be known by them and support each other spiritually. Absolutely. I think one of the, one of the parts I found most interesting about the book was this discussion of friendship and the importance of it for, for friendship, for, for the importance of friendships for adults, right? I've got kids and I know they've got to have friends. They can't just be, you know, having to have all of their relationships within our household that they got to have other people that they can form friendships with. It's, it's important. But it's difficult for, I think, a lot of people, myself certainly included, to imagine that as an adult, having real friendships that actually mean something that you put time into is necessary. It's not just like, oh, it'd be nice if I, had, if I was at a point in my life where I didn't have to worry about my finances and I didn't have all these other problems going on, the laundry was done, everything. Then I could go spend time with some friends. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's really something worth fighting for. Um, and I, I like the way that you described uh, you know, just asking, how are you doing? But to be able to find someone you can actually ask that question to, not in the kind of way you might casually yeah. ask, how are you doing? And say, fine. Uh, to go beyond the fine and find out how someone's actually doing. Yeah. It's necessary for your, your happiness. It's necessary for your holiness. You, you can't grow in holiness without spiritual support from other people. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're a bishop. I don't care if you're a priest or, or a lay person. You absolutely need that. And our Lord modeled that. He who didn't need anything had his 12, but then he had three that he leaned on in a special way. Yeah. And we as his disciples need uh, about three people that we're leaning on in a special way. Uh, it's also the key. It's also the secret sauce for growing the church right now. Uh, we, that is the front porch for Christianity, and that's what God intends. You know, if you're evangelizing someone, the early Christians didn't evangelize by saying, hey, come to Mass with me. In right. fact— you know this, pe people who were in the catechumenate, who were an RCIA, going, about to be initiated as Christians, they would be dismissed from Mass after yeah. the reading of the Word and preaching, because they, they weren't even told about the Eucharist until after they were baptized, and then they were told, hey, there's something even better. Yeah. And yet we treat this like it's the only show in town for every purpose that God has intended for us, for our sanctification, for us to share the faith with friends. Not so. God intends for your, your home, for your friend group, to be the way you bring people in the door. And Absolutely. you know who knows this? Our evangelical brothers and sisters know this. Yep. You know, I, I'm, and I'm friends with a lot of them who are experiencing growth in their church engagement during coronavirus through their small groups. Yeah. And we are tanking at a lot of our churches because we haven't caught on to this yet. This drives me crazy because it's so simple. That's right. Yeah, the importance of, of those small groups is, is something that we're— I think we're behind the curve on as a church and learning, you know, not, I mean, not historically speaking, but in the 20th century, you know, we've kind of reshaped the way we think about parish life in a way that has kind of cut that out. And we've really got to, got to get back to that. Um, yeah. Wow. That's, that's, 
it it is it is uh, humbling to to realize that you know there are other people that are doing some of these things better than us, but we can learn from them. Um, I like the way that you talk about the importance of self-care and of having fun uh, in the book. One of the rules is you've got to love yourself, and and that that includes letting yourself do things that are useless, right? But in in, the, in like a philosophical sense, useless. Uh, Bishop Barron yeah. in yeah. Uh, the Catholicism book talks uh, one of the chapters, actually the chapter in Catholicism about the Eucharist. He opens by talking about baseball, and he says going to a baseball game is is more is better for you than getting a haircut is getting a haircut is it meets a need that has to happen but you, you go to the baseball game because it's good in and of itself um and i happen to like baseball so i agree with him very much in that uh, if you had said golf i'd have a harder time agreeing because i don't like golf that much but uh you you, you i'm just gonna read a paragraph uh, a very uh, couple sentences this is from page 76 in chapter well, rule three i keep calling them chapters we think that god is only concerned with spiritual things and that our basic needs like rest, cleanliness, and food, or even the little things that inspire us and make us happy, are somehow beneath him. That idea isn't from Scripture. It's not from God. We have a God who loves to take care of our basic human needs. I think that's really important, especially in a time like, we, like we're in right now, where, gosh, just getting those basic things taken care of seems like a monumental task. It does. <laughs> uh, I was just looking at while you're reading that. One of my favorite quotes from the Second Vatican Council from Gaudium et Spes, that, and, and John Paul II was, uh, had a cr- crucial role in writing that document. He said that, that man is the only creature on earth which God has willed for itself. So we, when we treat ourselves like we are willed for some other purpose, that we were human doings rather than human beings, uh, we're, we're not being true to what we are. You know, God loves us. He cares for us. His first miracle was turning water into wine. It, it wasn't a functionary thing. It was a proclamation that he's made us to enjoy life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he wants to relax. And, and we forget this. We forget that. See, everything that we're laying out here, is, it's, all, it's all simple wisdom. That we, but we have to do things to implement. Like knowing is just half the battle. We have to actually yes. do things. Right, I saw a grin. You watched GI Joe as a kid too, didn't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's always <laughs> at the end of the GI Joe cartoon. Knowing is half the battle. Knowing is half the battle. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> we got to put these things into our schedule. Like, like, what do you do that's useless? Right. What do you do doesn't serve? Like, not everything has to serve some higher purpose. Uh, and 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 amazingly, when we do things that that uh, are useless, we are serving a higher purpose. We're reminding ourselves right. who we are, Christ. Yeah. Being receptive of. No, that's that's absolutely right. Um, that's funny you mentioned GI Joe. I noticed there, you know, uh, a couple of uh, bands that you were referring to throughout the book that I I, I picked up on the More Than a Feeling sub subsection, <laughs> which what a great song, but also a great point. Love is more than a feeling. Um, uh, you know, one of the things that stood out throughout the book, and it's in a number of the different rules, um, is you, you talk about in in one of the rule five, you say smiling. Uh, is really important. You say that if, if you smile for 20 minutes, that it, that it gives you the same amount of pleasure as like 2,000 bars of chocolate. So I forget exactly what the, what was the oh, number? Even a short, no, even a short smile. Okay. Uh, something like 2,000 bars of chocolate. They, they've done studies in the reward <laughs> mechanism of the brain and the connection to smiling. Yeah. And the smiling is often the result of something that makes us happy. And we overlook right. the fact that there's a body-soul connection and a body and emotion and neurology connection that these things can actually cause our, our increased joy and, and, and cause our minds to look at the right things, which St. Paul says, set your mind on things above. 
Um, I love how Mother Teresa said, we'll never understand the, the power of a simple smile. Yeah. And uh, British researchers found that, that uh, for the average person, um, the amount of reward mechanism stimulated in the brain by you smiling is as effective as you getting a $25,000 check. Uh, That's which right. I would like to experiment with that. If anyone wants to get some, <laughs> uh, but you know, one one benefit of of the masking, which I I can't, I'm so sick of these masks. But one one yeah. benefit, I'll tell you what, you're feeling kind of down, you pop the mask on, and you can walk around smiling like a crazy person. <laughs> I feel when I'm when I'm wearing a mask, when I'm in a situation where where I'm going to be wearing a mask, when I smile, I feel like I've really got to let it know, let it be known in my eyes that I'm smiling because you can't see the rest of my face. Um, but that that joy, um, you, you, you tell several stories throughout the book about people with powerful smiles. You mentioned going to Haiti and seeing uh, this man uh, laying in a bed who, who had been a former gang member uh, and then um, was. I can't remember what happened to him. He was sick, uh, and they left him there basically to rot because he had, you know, caused so much trouble. And that when you saw him, you you said you you'd seen a smile like none you'd ever seen before from this man who who had nothing going for him. He was paralyzed from the neck down. He had bed sores so bad his ribs were exposed at one point, but he had been nursed back to life and been given a, a human dignity by the the missionaries that were there. Um, you talk about your father in ICU joking uh, about his heart attack, um, and Chiara Luce Badano and uh, her Ooh. smile. And I, I want you to talk about Chiara Luce a little bit because uh, I saw you give a presentation on Chiara Luce Badano in New Orleans, maybe 2009, and it stuck with me, her story. Enough that when we had our second daughter, uh, we named her Chiara Luce Badano because me, my wife and I both oh. said, Rem- remember Chris Stefanik? He did this presentation about some Italian girl who was like a soccer player and she was in the hospital. Yeah. Or We had to Google for a little while to figure out what was the name. We remembered all the story, but we had forgotten her name. And then we saw the names. Oh, what a beautiful name. So I've, I've got a daughter named Chiara uh, in large part because you told me about her life. So tell, tell people who aren't familiar with Chiara Luce a little bit about her and, and the way that she's an example of the joy that you're trying to encourage people to uh, tap into. Well, you know, something I experienced in Haiti that you experience when you look at saints like Chiara, and that this book is all about, it, it, it drives home the reality that joy does not come from changing your circumstances, but changing you. The, the Lord never promised us a joy that, would, that we're supposed to wait on how much money we're making and, and how peaceful all the circumstances in our lives are. And if, you know, don't hold your breath in 2020 or for the next six months, right? There's <laughs> yeah. a lot of craziness. Uh, or the next four years, who knows, right? There's so much craziness in the world. Um, but it, it depends on us seeking Him. And following him. And Kiara is one of my favorite saints. She uh, was diagnosed with cancer when she was 16. And she was a very athletic kid, rock climber, tennis player, and uh, dropped the racket while playing, playing tennis because of a, a excruciating pain in her shoulder. And she said, uh, she found out she had bone cancer. She said, she said I'm young, I'm a fighter, I'm going to make it. And as she realized she wasn't, she constantly prayed, Jesus, if this is what you want, so do I. Yep. Which is a beautiful prayer. Uh, when her hair fell out, she'd hold up up in the air and say for you lord uh she she refused morphine wanted to share in the suffering of jesus on the cross uh people would go to counsel her and help her feel better and they'd leave all uplifted obviously because of the joy in her face which i I, the picture of her in our book yeah and here's here's a picture of it if if, uh i've got another book about her and this is uh this is the the smile on her face yeah um fantastic fantastic story 
She's she's in the hospital, terminally ill. When that picture you held up, yeah. And and her last words were, "I'd be happy because I'm happy." And she's the first beatified of Generation X. Wow! Uh, just live the joy of the Lord. She's beatified in two thousand, right? I'm forgetting what year it was. Uh, she she uh, yeah, but she died in 1990 at the age of 18. And yeah, uh, little Kiara, pray for us. She had the joy of the Lord, and her circumstances were horrible. Absolutely. Well, Chris, um, again, this is this is a fantastic book. Um, can you tell people about where they can get it? You know, if you just Google um, the book uh, uh, "Living Joy," Chris Stefanik, and it'll pop up probably on Amazon first, and that's I would guess the easiest way for people to buy it with one click. Amazon's yeah. good at taking your money. <laughs> <laughs> it's also available from Emmaus Road. Um, this yeah. is uh, a, a really excellent book. I, I really enjoyed reading it. I, I did have to, unfortunately, not follow your advice and not sit down and read it all at once. Uh, I had to read it all at once so I could have time to talk to you intelligibly about it. But um, something very, very simple, very practical. Um, and if you know anything about Chris, if, you, if you've ex- encountered any of his ministry, you know him to be a man of deep joy and deep faith, and, and he really gives you just very basic, as he says, stupidly simple tips on how to how to live that joy that we are indeed called to. So, uh, Chris, it's it's been great having you on the podcast. I'm so glad I got a chance to talk to you about this book, um, and I'm I'm really I pray for you a lot in, in your ministry. I think you're doing some really fantastic things for the for the church and for the world. I really appreciate that, my friend. Thank you, and uh, honored to be with you. And uh, send uh, our regards and love and prayers to your great bishop. All right. Well, thanks for joining us for the St. Philip Institute podcast. Uh, You can follow us on YouTube. Uh, Our our episodes release there every couple of weeks. We're also on Spotify and all the other usual places. And you can check us out on the web at stphilipinstitute.org. Thanks.